Welcome to the Marine National Parks podcast, brought to you by the Victorian National Parks Association with the support of the Victorian Government. In 2002, a system of marine national parks and sanctuaries was established after 10 years of community campaigning. In this podcast series, we capture the history of marine national parks and sanctuaries in Victoria. My name is Beth Atkinson Quinton. And I am Madison Griffiths. In our previous episode, we considered a broad range of stakeholders, their interests in national parks, and how individuals, as members of the community, care for our marine environment. We also like to acknowledge the First Peoples of Victoria and the over 1,000 generations of their peoples who have lived on this land that we today know as Victoria and pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. In this, our fifth episode, we further explore which role political processes have played in protecting nature, as well as the ongoing threats we will need to address when it comes to managing marine national parks and sanctuaries. We'll speak with Shannon Hurley from VNPA and Mark Rodrigue from Parks Victoria again. However, we primarily hear from Jeff Westcott, an academic researcher and coastal policy advisor. In speaking to Jeff, we locate today's concerns within a longer history of coastal strategies and public issues, from the 1970s to the present in Victoria. 90% of Victorian coast is public land, and community organisations like the Victorian National Parks Association are committed to keep it like this. In 1970, Bill Borthwick, then Minister for Conservation in Victoria, delivered his landmark speech, the Land Conservation Bill. This led to the establishment of the Land Conservation Council, which we now know as VIAC, its successor organisation. Borthwick was very clear about the necessity of setting aside and permanently reserving substantial areas for national parks, wildlife reserves and forest parks to be preserved forever. Borthwick's bill provides for the collection of scientific information in questions of public land use. As well as this, it stipulates public access to information deemed relevant to debates on Victorian environment. This is because, in his words, the public land of Victoria belongs not to any particular government, department or public authority, but to the people. Jeff Westcott, I recently retired from being an Associate Professor of Environmental Management at Deakin University continuing on the Victorian Environment Assessment Council and Deputy Chair of Zoo's Victoria Board. Yes, while well, the coastal marine influence is very strong, we used to holiday on the coast every summer. Mum was a school teacher. We'd do a little family two-week holiday, usually interstate along the coast, and then we'd uh, decamp to usually the west coast for three or four weeks of just swimming, lying on the beach and that sort of thing. So very much like many, many Victorians, history of a summer on the beach, really. At university, studied zoology and botany, and so got very interested in ecology in general. This is the sort of era of the early 70s, poor Ehrlich and population bomb, discussions about what sustainable population was, and so very interesting times in terms of environment. Lake Pedda then came up in the, in the, in the 70s as well, uh, while I was still at university. Jeff Westcott has been deeply involved with processes that are a result of Borthwick's bill, in particular regarding coastal and marine environments. 
Jeff is an academic researcher and coastal policy expert in Victoria. A passion for the marine environment and nature conservation first led Jeff to study zoology before moving into the coastal policy space. In 2015, he chaired the expert panel that advised on our current 2018 Marine and Coastal Act. The Act provides for coastal and marine management in Victoria. But in terms of coasts, my first real input was in the public interest research group, a group established by Ralph Nader in America, but an Australian arm here, we looked at a coastal study. Chris Smythe, who I think you've spoken to as well, was the director of that study. I was the sort of one of the ecologists on it. We worked over the Christmas holidays of 74, 75 on that and produced a coastal retreat in 1977, which was by far the most comprehensive coastal policy management planning document produced for a long time. So that really stimulated my interest in the coast and I went back after doing a Master's in Zoology and a Master's in Nature Conservation in London, went back and did a PhD on Victorian coastal marine policy. It's been a very long-term interest. I suppose the other two key continuums, apart from the research and teaching aspects, were that I chaired the Coastal Reference Group in 1994 that uh, led to the Coastal Management Act of 1995, and then recently in 2015-16 chaired the expert panel that has led to the Marine and Coastal Act of 2018, which is the successor, if you like, to Coastal Management Act. So it's been a very long and continuous journey uh, using, in, in my academic sense, using Victoria's marine and coastal environment as an example of integrated coastal zone management. We tap into Jeff's rich experience in the policy space which shapes how we are looking after marine environments in Victoria today. Starting with the work of the Land Conservation Council in its early years in the 1970s, Jeff told us how the policy focus only slowly began to change from developing strategies for land management to include the marine and coastal lands as well. Back in the early 1970s, the then Hamer Liberal Government developed the Land Conservation Council and the Land Conservation Council's role was to make recommendations to government about the use of public land in the state of Victoria. Public land includes, if you like, public sea, so the coastal waters are, in a legal sense, public land. And the Land Conservation Council then proceeded to go region by region across the land base in Victoria for the next 30 or so years and it always included a report, a descriptive report of what was there. People had a chance to comment on that. The public consultation was in the Act. The response resulted in some proposed recommendations for the public land and then another chance for people to respond and then a final set of recommendations which were to the government of the day and then the government of the day could decide whether or not to put them into place. The Land Conservation Council had a fantastic history of having bipartisan, Liberal and Labor, support for most of its recommendations for the first 25, 30 years of its history. And it resulted in a 14-fold increase in land-based national parks in that time. There was a move from either sort of Crown land that was uncommitted and state forests towards national parks, and many of those were on the coast. The sea, or the coastal waters of Victoria, were left out. They were just not considered in those reports. They started low-tide mark and went inland when they did any region that was on the coast. 
many of us who were interested in marine features towards the end of, end of the 1970s and into the early 1980s started to argue that the park system, the protected area system that was on land, there was all this public sea, if you like, these coastal waters that needed a protection in the same sort of protected area system. That's Jeff Westcott summarising the work of the Land Conservation Council, which helps us contextualise current activism and environmental management of our marine parks. In Jeff's view, between 1975 to 1995, the work of the Land Conservation Council and its successor organisations, the Environment Conservation Council and today's Victorian Environment Assessment Council, resulted in a 14-fold increase of protected land in Victoria representing a great number of ecological vegetation communities. However, there were still some types of environment that were missing out on this protection, which included grasslands and the marine environment. I suppose the history of the LCC into the ECC was that it had gone around the state region by region, in many regions a couple of times. So it had comprehensively looked at some regions and, as I say, between 19... 75 and 1995, there was a 14-fold increase in the area of National Park in the state of Victoria. So it really ramped up the protected area status. And as a consequence of that, I think you've got to say that it was going to be diminishing returns. So it had, for a lot of the ecological vegetation communities in Victoria, they were now inside the protected area system. The things that weren't there were like grasslands, which had been were on predominantly on private land and had predominantly been cleared. Box ironbark forests were missing out. The marine environment was missing out. So it was getting to a position, and the VNPA was able to identify this in its various nature conservation reviews, where there was some very clear things missing out that were still available on public land, particularly box ironbark red gums along the Murray River and marine. So in terms of what was still in public land, those three were not well represented in the system. And so the ECC had a pretty tough job and tackled those, two of those. But probably it was a period where it was almost a transition from the long established LCC period to what was always going to be a more comprehensive view that the Victorian Environment Assessment Council would come in to look. So changed the structure again, now down to only five council members, all of them chosen for their expertise across various areas, not for their representation of any organisation at all. Independent council, so kept a lot of the major elements. Independent council, public consultation written into the Act, acting only on terms of reference of the government. Public awareness of marine conservation in Victoria is a topic throughout this series as we look into the value of national parks. Public awareness levels also relate to community activism as witnessed in this podcast. There are many different users of our marine environment. The no-take zone is a central concept to environmental management in Australia. With respect to the marine environment in Victoria, the no-take zone means we can boat and dive, but we cannot fish. Jeff suggests that there is confusion between marine parks on one hand that are managed zones that may or may not include these no-take zones, and on the other hand, marine protected areas where extraction of resources is not permitted. Marine national parks are marine protected areas, 
Their sole purpose is to improve the ecological function of the park. I think it started 100 years behind, but I think it's caught up a lot. We've got the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park in Australia, so it's the sort of been the global grandfather of all marine parks. Though it's confused matters a bit, because the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park was established under the Whitlam government essentially to ban oil and gas drilling and exploration on the Great Barrier Reef. The first 20 years of the history of that marine park, most of it was owned general use, which really only prohibited oil and gas. And the no-take areas were only 5% of the total park. It's essentially a zoning scheme. In this century, it's increased that 5% no-take to 30% no-take, so it's got a lot stronger. But when we were arguing for marine parks in Victoria, people go, but the Great Barrier Reef's locked up, you know, this massive area. Lock up is always the word used. Is that what you're suggesting? Well, the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park is a planning scheme. Commercial and recreational fishing was allowed over most of its history. People got confused about what a park was in this context. The Marine and Coastal Act came into effect in 2018 to protect Victoria's marine and coastal environment. The details of the Act and the strategies to achieve the best outcomes for Victoria's marine and coastal environment are available online. Just search online for Marine and Coastal Act 2018 if you want to find out more. We asked Jeff to summarise the important aspects of the 2018 Marine and Coastal Act from his perspective. This is important background. It makes it very explicit that the marine environment is absolutely part of the Act. It ties in traditional owners. It ties in climate change as part of its objectives. It promises a marine and coastal policy by December next year. It's written into the Act and they've already started doing that. It says that marine policy will have a framework for marine spatial planning, so a planning scheme over the marine environment. There's a full-time officer working on that marine spatial planning. The department in the new Marine and Coastal Council started work on the marine policy. VIAC, which I'm now a member of, was sent a term of reference from the government to look at marine values and assess marine values in Victoria. VIAC has also been given a study to look at coastal foreshores. So this was predominantly Lisa Neville as the Shadow Minister coming into the 2014 state election with this sweep of marine and coastal promises. And it has resulted in the Marine and Coastal Act. And we're seeing the sort of information gathering phase proceeding at the moment. Proof of the pudding will be in the eating. The next two or three years will show whether or not that recognition in name as well as the reality of the marine environment comes strongly through or not. It's going to be a very interesting four-year period. In its capacity as an independent scientific advisor to the government, VIAC provides regular reports known as statewide assessment of public land, which examine classifications and values of public land and water. In May 2019, VIAC published its report on the values of the marine environment. Persistence is the key to unlock environmental campaigns. It takes time to inform people and to conduct research. The advocacy work for nature conservation by community organisations like the VNPA is ongoing. It has been this way for many decades, and there are many challenges to face in the next decade. And with the sense of the future in mind, as we come to the end of this episode, 
We asked Jeff to share his feelings on nature conservation and Victoria's marine environment. We extended this invitation to Mark Rodrigue from Parks Victoria. Well, I suppose I could get the crystal ball out a little bit and I think Victoria's got some specific challenges that other states don't have. It's the most cleared state in the country. It has the least amount of public land. Climate change will mean plant communities over time will move up mountainsides and probably south in general. When you've got as little public land as we've got, you've got some very strong and major natural and semi-natural areas in national parks, but you've got a lot of private land in between. So I think connectivity is going to be the most active word and the most active pastime in the next 10 to 15 years in Victoria. We've got to use private land conservation means such as covenants to link up habitat that's fragmented across the landscape. So connectivity has got to be very important. Private land conservation by individuals on private land is going to be critical. Uh, Trust for nature and covenants are going to be as important as Parks Victoria and National Parks have been in the past. So those are two very strong elements. I think one of the things I'm certainly seeing coming through from the last 10, 15 years there's got to be better resourcing of public land management, irrespective of what the category is, whether it's a park or a state forest or it's a bushland reserve or it's a regional park. We do not have enough people on the ground, out in the regions, in the parks, in the state forest, on the public land. Uh, there's just not enough bodies. And that's been a resourcing issue in a way caught up over the last five, ten years in particular. And it would be wonderful for regional employment to start to resource public land management better. And you start with pest plants and animals, fire management, etc., all in keeping with good conservation practices over land. But I think the time is ripe for all of the groups who have an interest in public land to be actually combining and saying, number one, we want this land resourced much, much better than it has been in recent times. And don't play us off against each other. That's not the point. The point is bodies on the ground. G'day, my name's Mark Rodrigue. I'm the statewide leader for Marine and Coast at Parks Victoria. The future for marine protected areas depends upon a community that values, recognises the threats to and wants to be involved in managing marine protected areas. Without that level of support, any park system, but particularly marine protected areas, can easily be reversed in terms of their levels of protection. We've seen examples in New South Wales where that has changed through the political process where areas that were highly protected are now open for extractive activities. So if we don't have a community that actually does want these protected areas to continue to exist, that wants the resources to be applied for their management, we're not going to be able to achieve that into the future. So at the end of the day, if the community does value, does respect and does understand the challenges and how they can be involved in addressing some of those challenges, our system is not likely to be successful. We need our communities to recognise and support the marine protected area systems in Victoria. It is one of probably most comprehensive system of marine protected areas in the world and again the process that led to their creation uh, really did generate a model that many other countries around the world uh, are seeking to emulate. That idea of having a representative area system that essentially picks up on that 
diversity across a jurisdiction is, at the time when these things were created, was a very brave move by governments and by both political parties in supporting those things. But at the end of the day, it was the people who decided and who put governments in place that needed to continue to support and lobby for the creation of those park systems. So I guess the greatest challenge going forward is to ensure that people continue to value, respect and want these protected areas to exist and support their management. That was Mark Rod Reed from Parks Victoria. In this episode, we've learned about political processes for ongoing protection of the marine environment, how community campaigns have protected threatened environment in Victoria, and we've learned some of the background to the Victorian Environment Assessment Council. And we've learned about risks and threats to our marine national parks and sanctuaries and how Victorians might address future challenges. For a final thought, Shannon Hurley points us in a fresh direction, one of the most difficult and intractable problems we face today, climate change. Climate is such a critical issue facing all of us right now that it seems to be the leading environmental issue that we see in the media. But equally as so, I I think that what is lacking is that connection of of climate to nature conservation. And I feel that if we began to see more of a connection between climate action and and nature conservation which obviously are all linked to linked together that perhaps we would begin to see some more action on on both of those areas because one definitely impacts the other. Shannon Hurley, nature conservation campaigner at the Victorian National Parks Association. In our next and final episode we will go to Gunditch Mara country in the southwest of Victoria to learn about sea country from a traditional owner's perspective and what the new Victorian Marine and Coastal Act means to them. And this is the Marine National Parks podcast, brought to you by the Victorian National Parks Association with the support of the Victorian Government. Narrated by Madison Griffiths and Bethany Atkinson Quinton. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the unceded land and waters across the state of Victoria and pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. This podcast series was produced by Jan Hendrik Bruggemeyer and Thomas Bristow. Project management, Caitlin Griffith. And you can find us online at vnpa.org.au.